You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I was made aware that Will and Kara Steeman are here today with family, and they are celebrating 60 years of marriage. Where are Will and Karis? Can you stand? There they are, right there. Congratulations. We celebrate with you. Did you want all of your family to stand too? Because we can all the families stand. There we go. And we will celebrate with them. Yeah, lots of family here. Good. Yep. And then I also heard that Jim and Janet Short just celebrated 70 years. Are Jim and Janet here? Can somebody help me find them? You're pointing. There they are right here. 70 years of uh, marriage. Pretty cool, huh? That's great. You ever feel inadequate in this Christian journey? Not qualified? So when I have conversations with the people, sometimes those are the conversations I get into. And, and it kind of finds itself in many categories like, Pastor Rick, I don't feel like maybe I'm qualified to lead in the church. Um, I don't feel like maybe I'm, I'm adequate as a leader. Or, or maybe when it comes to to knowing, you know, God's will and discerning what God wants for me. I don't feel like maybe I'm, I'm quite qualified to do that. I struggle to know, you know. Or maybe when it comes to the scripture or my knowledge of the Bible, I don't feel quite adequate. You know, I don't feel really qualified to talk to others about scripture. I don't know that I know enough. I hear it a lot when it comes to witnessing. I don't feel like I'm qualified to witness. I don't feel like maybe that I I, uh, I, I'm adequate at that task. I'm afraid I'm going to get asked questions that I don't have answers to, you know. Um, or maybe I don't feel adequate in just the way that I live the Christian life. Maybe I feel like um, I just kind of come up short. I don't get all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. I just fall a little short, you know. What if it's true? What if you are? What if you are a bit inadequate? What if you aren't quite qualified? What if that's the truth? Which I assume it is. But what if you were able to move from this place of saying, I don't feel quite adequate or qualified, but I'm empowered. So, see, that's an outside source. That's someone who gives me power. That's someone who makes me stronger than I am. There's a confidence that comes from that knowing that I'm not the source of it. But, But I'm empowered. Am I qualified? Maybe not. Am I adequate? No, for sure. But is there the possibility of me being empowered by God's Spirit? Now, that's a possibility. And then I accomplish more than maybe I ever dreamed that I could possibly accomplish. Let me, let me give you an example. You know the guy in the New Testament whose name is Simon Peter. So Simon Peter is one of the 12 disciples. He, he lives out there. You remember his personality? Uh, I, I think his personality might have been a bit like mine. You don't ever really wonder what he's thinking. You kind of know. He says it, you know. Um, and, and so he would blurt out things like Jesus said, 
Who do you say that I am? And it was Simon Peter who said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. But, but then when it really matters on the night that Jesus is arrested, Simon, say it now. Say it now. Instead, he says, I, I never met that guy. And you say, well, anybody could you know, like slip up and mess up. Well, he did it three times in the same night. And, and you can imagine the next morning you find him and he's got his you know, face and his hands and he is just, you know, I am not adequate, you know. I'm unfit to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not qualified for this. I wasn't cut out for this stuff. However, when you get to the sequel of the Gospels, we're big into sequels, right? The book of Acts is the sequel to the Gospels, the next part of the story. You find Simon Peter in chapter 2, and he is like up in front of a crowd way bigger than this. Thousands of people. And he is preaching the Gospel with boldness in spite of the threat of persecution. And thousands of people that day said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I mean, he gives an invitation and like 3,000 come forward. And you're like, well, what is the difference? What The guy over here who is saying, I don't know him. And then the guy over here who is up preaching to thousands. Well, the difference is chapter 2 of Acts. Earlier in the chapter, where he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, this man who is inadequate and unfit... You know, and not cut out for it, and not qualified, and falling short, now has this witness that yields incredible fruit. So let's talk about the, the Spirit. I heard a preacher preach recently, and he talked about growing up as a preacher's kid, and going in the church when it was dark was kind of a scary thing. Any large, empty building would be kind of a scary thing if it's not lit. But he said, I had this image in my head of the Spirit living there. And in my mind, the Spirit was almost ghostly. But he said, as I got older, I began to realize, well, the Spirit lives in me. I mean, so when I walk out the door, the Spirit is in me. And I think it's maybe cleared up for us in some ways in the book of Hebrews, where in the first chapter, in the first verse, the Hebrew writer says, you know, in the past, how God spoke to us through the prophets many times and in various ways. What would you call a various way? Well, like when he spoke, you know, to Moses through the burning bush, I think that qualifies as a various way. What do you think? So, so God spoke, you know, but he says in these last days, now this was, you know, right after Jesus' resurrection, ascension, in these last days, but he has spoken to us through his son, right? So Jesus has been with us, God in the flesh, walking around among us, talking to us. And then one day Jesus says, I'm going away. Well, then how is God going to speak to us? That's the question I would be asking. In the past, he spoke through the prophets and in various ways. And, and now he has been speaking to us through his son. But Jesus says, I'm leaving. So how does God speak to us? And Jesus said, no, 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 it's okay. Because the Father is going to give you a gift. And the gift is his spirit. 
And his spirit is going to guide you, speak to you. His spirit is going to remind you of what I've taught you. His spirit is going to be with you. And we begin to read in the New Testament about the spirit, how the spirit is going to live in you. Paul talks to spirit-filled believers and he says, the spirit of truth lives in you. And how the spirit speaks and guides and directs. And we walk in the spirit and we keep in step with the spirit. We live by the spirit. And so I, I, don't, I don't know what you walk through the doors with this morning in regard to your image of the spirit. But let me just say to you, it doesn't have to be far out there incomprehensible. It's God. We're talking about God himself, God's spirit, the spirit of God. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about this is now how God relates to you. This is how God interacts with you. This is how God speaks to you. This is how God leads you. This is how God empowers you through his spirit. And the Holy Spirit is dynamic. I can't give you a one, two, three easy steps to being empowered by the spirit. The spirit works differently in all of us. We're all different. But here's what I can tell you about the spirit that I find in the word this morning. And it's simply this, that the impossible becomes possible when the Holy Spirit comes on us. It's what happened to Peter. It's what happens to you and me. So what in my mind is impossible, I, I can't do that, becomes possible. When the Holy Spirit comes on us. The powerless find power. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So let me take you to Acts chapter 2, okay? Acts chapter 2, and I'd love to begin reading with verse, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And I'll, and I'll read through those first eight verses. They are so full and so rich that I feel like I want to say to you, lean in, okay? Don't miss a word. Here we go. In my former book, now this is Luke writing, the one who wrote the gospel of Luke, and that's the former book he's referring to. This is my sequel, okay? This is what happens after that. In my former book, Theophilus, you say, who is Theophilus? We really don't know, but we do know that it was common to dedicate a book to a person of importance, and so it's the same today. It's not unusual that we open a book that somebody has written, and in the early pages it says, I dedicate this book to my wife or my kids or whomever. So that's the same kind of thing that's happening. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I told you all about Jesus, his life, until the day he was taken up to heaven. And that's how he concludes the book of Luke. He was taken up to heaven. After Jesus, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, we're going to see this word four times in these eight verses. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Now, I want you to just hang on for a minute and look with me. 
rich in theology. We're talking about your Christology this morning, what you believe about Jesus, Jesus' life, work, and ministry. We're talking about his ascension here. He was taken up. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. It is just deep with theology. So, so then he says, after his suffering, meaning everything leading to the crucifixion and the crucifixion, he presented himself to them and gave them many proofs that he was alive. Now we're talking about resurrection. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, God's new world that Jesus has ushered in. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, now he's reminding us of what happened in the gospel, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift, and the gift, of course, is the Holy Spirit, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Had you been a disciple, what would have been your next thought? Here is theirs. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, I'm not going to give you God's calendar or timetable, okay? It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. You're going to be empowered. What seemed impossible is going to become possible. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Interesting to me is that these two last lines really serve as an outline for the book of Acts. Because what happens in chapters 1 through 8, we see them being witnesses in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through about halfway through chapter 11, you see them being witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And from there on, the rest of the book of Acts, you see them being witnesses outside the Holy Land, literally to the ends of the earth, all the way to Rome. So when you read the book of Acts, read it with that outline in mind. I preach almost every week. Last week I didn't preach. It's unusual. And when I don't preach, it feels like it's been months since I've preached. I wonder, can I do it? I don't know. It's been forever. But, but there are Sundays when I leave here. And, and so I, I can't help it. It's the way I'm wired. I, I evaluate. And so I leave thinking to myself, I think that went okay today, you know. Uh, I felt like God was speaking through me. There are other days when I leave here going, oh, that just wasn't my best. It wasn't like I didn't try or I didn't care or I didn't prepare like I always prepare. Maybe it was my delivery. I don't know. I leave saying I, I, I just felt like something was not quite right, you know. And invariably on those Sundays, where I feel like it was just off, somebody emails me, texts me, calls me, We're, we need to talk. Um, I mean, you've preached good sermons before, but that was the best sermon you've ever preached. 
I mean, talk, are you reading my email? Are you, have you tapped my phone? What, what's going on? We need to... I mean, that was directly... I mean, that was a between-the-eyes kind of... And I'm just like, how? I just felt like I was off. But, but that person is saying, no, Rick. It was everything I needed to hear. And, and what I have to realize is that there was power in the witness that was beyond my capabilities or abilities. So it reminds me of a guy named Will Willimon, who was the dean of the chapel at Duke University. And it's my favorite story about Will Willimon. He, he says, you know, I taught preaching at Duke for years, this esteemed university, and, and I know what a good sermon is. And I know what it is to work all week on a sermon and to have it ready to preach on Sunday morning. But I walk in the door of my house on Saturday night after my wife and I have been to dinner with friends. And I know what it is to push that sermon aside and to grab an envelope out of the letter holder on my kitchen table and a pen and scribble out a sermon in just a few minutes and carry that envelope with me in my Bible to church on Sunday morning and preach that sermon. And I know what it is to stand at the door after I preach that sermon and for someone to say, Pastor, that was the best sermon you have ever preached in all the years that you have been here. And I ask myself, was it a good sermon? And the answer is no, because I know what good sermons are, but that wasn't my best sermon. But something happened that I can't create. God spoke through me. It's called revelation. God made the impossible possible. So when I was praying about how I would serve in this new role as the pastor of Bethany First Church, we had already been here. We had met with the board. We'd come back. We had met many of you. We said we were coming. But the enemy, the enemy was on me pretty hard. And here's what the enemy was reminding me. You are inadequate for this task. You're not qualified. And I was living in that world of I'm not qualified. I'm inadequate. And I remember one Saturday morning, the heaviness of that was on me so I wanted to say so heavy, but I already said heavy. I don't have another word. It was on me, heavy. And my phone rings, and it's my mom. And my mom is crying. And she's been in her prayer time. And she says, Ricky, I got to talk to you. I want you to go get your Bible. Okay, Mom, I'll get my Bible. Go, go turn it to... 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Okay, Mom, I'm there. She said, Ricky, the Lord gave me this verse this morning. I don't know what's going on in your heart and your life, but the Lord gave me this verse. She had no idea what I was feeling. And she read to me what Paul said to the people at Corinth. I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words in my preaching. But I came to you in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
And then my mom says to me, Ricky, the Lord wants me to tell you that if the Holy Spirit is not speaking through you, you have nothing to say to those people in Oklahoma. So what if it's true? What, what if I am unqualified? What if I am inadequate? What if you are? But what if we're empowered? <laughs> By God's Spirit. I've got to give you a little background. The resurrection is in this passage, and it is so crucial to this passage. It's crucial to everything. We wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be happening. It would all be done, gone, over. Jesus wasn't who he said he was. The kingdom of God is not going to come. But here's the story. Israel has been rode hard and put up wet, ridden hard and put up wet. They, they, they have been enslaved. They have been mistreated. They have been ruled over by nation after nation after nation. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he is the Messiah. They believe many that he is, he is the savior. He is going to restore the kingdom of Israel. His, uh, his palace is going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to rule from there. The disciples are going to be top government officials. And Israel is going to defeat their enemies, and the nation of Israel will be restored, and all things will be made right. But then he gets crucified. And they're like, were we wrong? Was, was he not the Messiah? Is it not going to happen? Is Israel not going to be restored? But then the resurrection occurs. And, and now it's just like, wait a minute. So it is going to happen. So the plan is back on, right? And so that's what they say to Jesus. When? So when's it going to happen? And Jesus offers them an alternative aspiration. You're talking about the kingdom of Israel. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Let's let God sort Israel out. But let's talk about something greater than Israel. Let's talk about the whole world. And let's talk about sharing Jesus with the whole world. The, the, the history here I love because it's bringing the disciples to this place of understanding that, that I'm talking to you about a message that we're going to take to everybody. I'm, I'm talking about God's love for all people. And, and, and I'm talking about where the impossible becomes possible. This religion of this little group of despised people that doesn't have a chance in the world of surviving, much less thriving, begins to grow and begins to spread. And in a few centuries, it becomes the religion of the Roman Empire. The impossible becomes possible, and here's why that happens. It's because God's Spirit will empower us 
to do what we never could have done on our own. So I just want to take a few minutes here. I've got a few minutes, and I want to talk to you, okay? You know there's a war going on, right? You know the world's in trouble. If Putin was gone, there would be someone else, right? Every shooting is heartbreaking. Every life matters. But this deal in Texas with all of these children being killed by a shooter, it, it's devastating. Do, do you know that when I, when I drive these days, I have a different mindset? Because people are crazy. I mean, I'm just, I'm just now, I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, no, you go ahead. No, you go. And if I didn't get over soon enough and I'm going to miss, I just miss the exit. Because if you jump over too quick, boy, you'll get people, you know. It was Paul Harvey, my uncle. <laughs> I come from good stock. Who said in times like these, it's always good to remember there have always been times like these. I mean, just think about the history of the world. I mean, don't you want to be a world changer? Don't you want the world to get better? Don't you want to be part of it? I, I don't think as followers of Jesus, we have the permission to say, no, people are crazy, and they don't want to hear the gospel. Forget it. No, I think we are called. But we also have this promise of being empowered. This idea of being filled with the Spirit comes not only with this fullness of God, but it also comes with this power to witness. So this idea of witness in the first century, when, when a new king was enthroned, do, do you know what the process was? They would send out heralds all over the territories, and you know what they would say? We have a king. We have a king. And Jesus says to the disciples, and he says to you and me, that's your job. That's what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell people that God has established this new kingdom. I'm king, and I want you to tell people about me. That's your new job. When you think about this, it's at the very end, before he ascends to heaven. And so I would say this to you. The real to-do here is simple. Um, and let me put it on the screen for you, okay? It's simply this. It's... It's not going to, there it is. His last command should be our first concern, and that is to witness. So when you look at the early church, they are empowered by the Spirit, and the whole book of Acts is about how they took the gospel to people. 
So let me, let me close with this. There's this, there's this line that Jesus uses. Don't, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. I want you to wait. Just wait. Don't leave. Don't start. Wait. You don't have what you need. You can't do the work of God without the power of God. You've got to wait. And then this gift you're going to be given. I, I think it brings me to a place that, that as a church, we have to ask a question. Do, do we have all that Jesus says we should have? Do, do we have all that Jesus says we should have? Is the Spirit on us as the Spirit came on them? And so when we come to the table, we come often praying to receive God's grace. And so I want you to take the elements that you were given when you came in the room this morning. And if you'll open the the bread first on top and then and then open the juice and in a moment we will eat and drink together. But I think today what we do at the table of the Lord is we say, we pray for your spirit, God, to come on us. We pray that you fill us with your spirit. We pray that you empower us so that our witness is strong. And, and then as we eat the bread and we drink the drink and, and the food enters our body, I think the symbol is that that is God's grace entering our lives. God's spirit coming on us. And so when he was with the disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the ransom of many. Drink it, all of you. As we stand here, thankful and in awe of the gift of your son Jesus and the fact that he shed his blood for us, that we could be forgiven of our sin and be in right relationship with you, Lord, let us take that good news to our world. I pray in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.